0: So now without further ado, Tom Mocker, who you're all here to see. He grew up in Georgia, New York, and California, and spent his teenage years bouncing around from boys' homes to halfway houses to communes in Montana, New York, and Louisiana. He attended Riverside City College, San Francisco State University, and the University of Iowa Writers Workshop, where he was te- teaching writing fellow. He has twice received fiction fellowships from the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown, and Halfway is his first book. Um, and I'll read one quick blurb about it. Chris Offut, the author of My Father, the Pornographer, uh, says, "I don't remember the last book that made me cry. Halfway did. Sorry, sorry. Uh, halfway did. Not for the story or characters, the honesty and insight, the courage or lack of self-pity. What moved me was how good a writer Tom Walker is. This is remarkably, be- this is remarkably beautiful prose about horrendous events in his own past. Read any one page and you will finish the book. Here he is." So uh thanks everyone for coming. It's good to see everybody. Um I know most of you I think, uh, but just a little refresher if I if I don't or you don't know the story. Uh Halfway is a book about uh it's, uh, it's a memoir about the I guess my late teens and early 20s um, got kicked out of school and kicked out of my mom's house and I ended up in this halfway house in Louisiana. Um, Most of the book takes place in the halfway house. Uh, A lot of the book is it was originally um, stories and uh, after I sold the manuscript I basically took all the stories out and tried to turn it into some kind of working narrative which I don't recommend Um, so you like I said most of y'all know me and I've been working on it for a long time and it's finally out and I'm just gonna read a a couple of pages uh, from early in the book before I was in the halfway house because a lot of times when you tell people you're in a halfway house the first thing they want to know is what did you do to get in a halfway house (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which, um, I get it, like I understand the question, <laughs> but um, I always give a kind of vague answer, and I always say, well, before the halfway house, I was in a boy's home, and that's my answer. Um, so this, is, this chapter takes place in the boy's home, and I'll just read a few pages from there, and we'll, we'll, jump, we'll jump like uh, 60 pages back in the book. So it's page 51 if anyone's interested, and here we go, the chapter's called Boy's Home. The rest of the boys were the usual ages, except the oldest, who was 24 and cool. I guess he used to be some child actor, but then wasn't a child anymore and would linger in alleys off Santa Monica Boulevard, hustling dick to score. I'll tell you what happens, he said. You stay down this road. Hold on, I told him. Let me find a pen. I'm going to write this shit down. Go on, he said. If you don't believe me, you'll see. One day they're hand-feeding you lobster while you bang someone in the mouth. I'm sorry, I know I told somebody here I wasn't going to swear much, but uh, there's going to be a few in there. (laughs) One minute they're hand-feeding you lobster while you bang someone in the mouth, and the next you're on your knees, clawing sperm from your beard. What happens is, shh, someone said, enough. I counted seven other boys, a few of them mentioned being court-ordered, sent by the state. Others like me spoke of good situations. From their bunks, they watched me or didn't care at all. Outside wind whistled down from whatever mountain ranges surrounded us. Air passed through the single pane glass. It was cold. You're in a safe place, the child actor said. It works if you work it, God willing, one day at a time. Above me, our youngest shifted uneasily in his bunk. This boy probably grew up to become a world-class carpet muncher and finger fucker. He had a scientist's curiosity about cause and effect. But he was 13 and barely pubescent, and used his intellectual curiosity in despicable ways. He'd squat outside the mess hall, a perfect leaf of iceberg lettuce in his hands, luring small rabbits, and then, once they got close, he'd jab a pitchfork into their spines. But I didn't know him yet and just figured he was restless. I asked, how long? Hey, new guy, someone cut me off. Shut the fuck up. Guys laughed. This one dude, Visalia, talked about the Central Valley. It's Disneyland, he explained, for your common tweaker. He kept going on and on about the town, Visalia, he called home, boasting it claimed the purest crystal in all of California. After a while, I began to understand that he was doing this, to work our nerves. Above me, the young boy sighed faintly with discontent. He hopped off our bunk and slipped into the bathroom. <clears throat> I felt the wind even when I didn't hear it. My belly ached. I couldn't get warm. I thought about the ride from the airport, that one lane from the regional airport I'd flown into, the ranches we passed, their long driveways and snowy lawns, smoke billowing from their chimneys. Some already had lights up. Plastic reindeer on their roofs. What were my odds of finding something here? Not booze, weed, or pills, but NyQuil, maybe. Wheezing, the young boy crept across the cabin, stopping at one of the bunks. What the shit, Visalia said. There was some noise, a lot of it. Terrible stuff. Beds squeaked, rocked. Guys jumped from their bunks. Someone got slapped. The lights popped on. Visalia, who was a big boy much bigger than me, pulled the young boy by his rat tail up onto a bunk, where he spanked at his ass and lectured on how things would be. This isn't kid shit, he said. It's not kid time. This'll be every day. Shading cream coated Visalia's face, caked his forehead, and cupped his ears. He wrist-wiped his eyes, wrapped his giant hands around the boy's throat, and began the slow, arduous task of choking him to death. Later, in the darkness, as if nothing had happened, the child actor began again. Something, something, he whispered. Santa Monica. I thought he was talking in his sleep, but no. He listed a bit of his resume, prominent TV shows, a few commercials. Was he bragging, I wondered? Should I hate him? He was good looking, pretty, with a small nose, blue eyes, and pink cheeks. He wore a full beard, had thick blonde hair. He owned rugged boots and fancy wool socks, things I coveted, but there wasn't anything to hate. He was just enthusiastic, that's all. He spoke of other places he'd been, all of them fancier than here, what with their girls and grapes and swimming pools, Yet in each place he'd found only more of himself, and each place had brought him back to that well-choreographed dance, head bowed, hands cuffed, not so exuberant now. He spoke of cunning and patience, an omnipresent, ever-darkening thing. You can bet on me this time, he said, or I'll be in the grave. What happens, he said. his shit gets worse and then worse again and even worse until finally worse still. But his clothes fit, his beard was manicured, he was represented by a top-tier talent agency and his parents hadn't given up on him. I turned to my bed. Outside, snow fell, but just slightly. A hazy flurry of speckled flakes, a dusting really, just a dusting, but it didn't stop and by morning, snowdrifts would pile around our cabin. It was Thanksgiving. I reached up and touched the slats above me, felt grooves where boys had carved their names, hometowns, and mid-dates. The dates were always just the first day with a dash, as if they planned on coming back and inscribing their last day. But last days always changed, or guys swapped cabins and forgot. Um, so that's from Boys Home, uh, I guess when I went, when I went to the Boys Home had a one-way ticket, uh, plane ticket to somewhere in the Rockies, and, um, I was thinking that I'd be there, I don't know, 60 days, 90 days, something like this, and then I'd go back to, uh, high school, I was a junior in high school, and, um, sort of normal life would resume, you know. Uh, I had my eye on a young lady. I I was looking forward to baseball season. And I was thinking I would finish my junior year of high school and go to my senior year and then maybe go to college or something like, you know, people do. And, um, but after a while I came to find out that people who were at this place did not go home. Um, They went to other places or they just sort of disappeared. And at some point, uh, you know, I went to the next place, and um, that was in Louisiana. And I'm going to read a brief description of the the area, Um, and then we'll um, go there. So we called it the house, and it was uh, an all-male, halfway house. The house was on West Road, which was the kind of street in a part of town you'll almost never go. Locals called it Crack Row, and they had reason. Now, of course, our country's drug of choice has changed, as has the neighborhood where it's bought and sold. But back then, rock was everywhere. And on West Road, you could hear the dope man tree and his base long before his low rider made our block. Homes here were small, old, manufactured, half dropped on cinder blocks or bricks. They had unfinished stoops tinfoil block windows and plywood exteriors were missing shingles and doors and doorknobs. I never could tell which were inhabited and which merely used. It had so many crack houses that when police came and shut one place down, the next day everyone went next door. Baseheads littered the area. We'd see them pedal their bicycles past the property, return a few hours later on foot. Like the ranch, it was the middle of nowhere, halfway between Baton Rouge and New Orleans, in a truck stop town of swamp and cypress. And maybe if you drove past the outlet mall and chemical plants to the levee or into the Maurepaul boondocks and meat you'd find a beautiful and exquisite a painted owl, egret, or alligator. Yet the house was close in and all we saw were the broke down, desperate, and washed out. They drift by, each day getting skinnier and skinnier, until they were only a pile of loose clothes jerking up the road, eyes sunk in their skulls, knuckles, knees, and elbows pushing up through their scab skin. I just felt like when I was writing this book like um, that as I was writing it I started writing a bunch of stuff about my childhood and I just got kinda of bogged down in that up. I'm like, oh shit, you know, I gotta write all this stuff that I wasn't originally in the book, but ended up becoming a major part of the thing. And so the so the arc of the book is it's you go through like, I don't know, a third of it and, and you still haven't gotten to the place, which was the where the meat of the book takes place and i, I thought it's just a long time ago. like right before i i guess right before i turned in the, the last copy or whatever i was like i gotta tack a prologue onto this thing um, to just kind <clears> of <throat> just for my own ability to sleep at night i guess um with that long process um and this, this right here so this chapter is called prologue We were never alone in the house. That's the first thing, never. There was always some brother around, if not a few, like on the back slab or front porch. where they were about to come running, someone was, some guy, wanting to talk. Talking meant group. We were always in group. Even our daily things. Like, we didn't eat dinner. We went to dinner group. And afterward, we didn't clean. We performed kitchen cleanup group. Having a feeling, want to confront someone, you called group. We were always confronting someone. Half the time, we barely made it to the Coke machine before another group got called. Showering felt off, using the bathroom, getting dressed. All of it strange, like you were doing something wrong and you had to be quick about it. Like any moment, someone would burst through the door, calling group. The second thing is... We cleaned a lot, all the time. But at least cleaning, like down on your knees cleaning, like wiping the base of a toilet, you were alone. Twice, maybe three times, I found myself being the only brother on property. That's it, middle of the afternoon too. The first time I didn't even think about it. Just went straight to my room, laid out in bed and played with myself. Every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday night, we had scheduled groups. Scheduled meant staff had prepared, which meant watch out. They were events. Dudes showered before them. They brushed their teeth. We could not miss these groups for anything. Not work, not sickness, not a near-death experience. Miss one, and that's it. Your ass is gone. And what about the store, or watching TV, or shooting hoops? Most of the time we could only do these things if we were in group. Like on flats or stricts, everything was done in group. Now we weren't even alone when we showered. There'd be 10 guys outside the bathroom door and try to beat off in that environment. Try rubbing one out with 10 dudes moaning and slapping their cheeks. I promise you, it got done. Anything short of using was okay if we did it in group. And when something went wrong, as something often did, say someone stole something or shot Crystal or banged a girl or had admitted knowing of some other brother who had but didn't want to rat, we had standing honesty group where we couldn't sit, talk, or move until that dude ratted or someone else fessed up. Didn't matter he didn't want to talk. We stood in silence until he either spoke or walked. Sometimes staff came in during these groups carrying vials, and we'd wait until our names got called. Once our names got called, we peed. Then dudes for sure left, even before the results came back. But some guys who pitched dirty stayed. These dudes said amazing things when staff showed them their labs. Hell no, it was poppy seeds, or they got roofied, or rolled, or drank spiked iced tea a damn needle fell from the sky. Or they appealed to our humanity. Their mom died, their baby got sick. They offered convoluted tales starring their shitty jobs, dickhead boss, the damn heat, the endless rain, the humidity, a flat tire on their bike, or the motherfucker of a freight train that held them up on the wrong side of the tracks. You get the idea. It didn't take long to hear it all. Mostly, we clutched our nuts or laughed straight laughed in their face, complete with joking groans. Poor me, poor me, pour me another drink. Not because nothing fazed us, just we'd gotten used to it, that's all. And besides, it was funny. We could relate to the thinking behind it. How we'll convince ourselves any idea is a good one. But sometimes a guy couldn't pee. He was nervous or dehydrated or just pissed like what five minutes ago. Then we waited. We stayed in that room until everyone peed. Other guys refused to pee. If we refused to pee, we were gone. Still, dudes wouldn't. It didn't matter if they were facing hard time. Didn't matter the house was the only thing keeping them alive. They wouldn't pee. Once a guy pissed himself, waiting. He wore yellow gym shorts, a pair of scuffed Air Maxes, no socks. The P darkened his shorts, bounced off his knees, and pulled on the group room floor. We laughed, of course, but it wasn't funny. He'd smoked rock and was gonna get kicked out, and we have to clean this mess up. Um we make a time a little? Eight o'clock. Uh right, let's let's do some questions then, yeah? Does anybody have any questions for me? Yes. Uh, why did you write the book? Was it just, I guess, of Your part to like, you start working through it. and I need to get it all on paper, or is you know, it a cautionary tale, or others? <coughs> uh I wrote this book because I um. I, start, I guess about 15 years ago I, I went back to, to Baton Rouge where the halfway house was and um, I needed some downtime and um, Baton Rouge at that time was a town of about 200,000 people and um, there was like four serial killers operating in town and uh, it was not really a place to get downtime then. Um, there was a bunch of other people from the halfway house that were around. Anyway, I was uneducated at the time I had never gone to college. I might have been 25 or 26. And uh, you know, it just there was a lot of uh, a lot of nonsense, a lot of hijinks, a lot of fuck uh, around, fuck around. And um, I came out of that feeling like I had to go to college and get out of that world. And I like telling stories, so I started telling, like writing stories about that time, about those months when I was down there. And, um, at some point, I needed some backstory. You know about the halfway house, where it makes sense. And uh, I wrote like a like a brief little chapter about the halfway house, and that was it. And and um, that that little brief little, ch- little chapter that was supposed to tie together that book it's nowhere, it's not, it's not published, it's not anywhere, it's just existing on a hard drive somewhere. Eventually, that little chapter became this book. So good process question. I like that. <laughs> uh, other questions? How, yes. So how did you want, considering that you had to rewrite, not necessarily rewrite, but you had to take out your fiction of this sort piece, it sounds like, so then how did you decide to structure Was it? Was it, and I'm sorry, I so did it want to be chronological and so why did you make that choice or any other uh yeah it, it is chronological actually <laughs> um with the exception of that little um that little prologue. that's how i did it yeah easiest way in the world right um it took me a long time because i was just like just i, I i'm naturally i think um a private person and so the idea of writing a memoir just kind of made my skin crawl from the very beginning. Um, and that was the way I could do it. Yes. I'm a little curious. I uh, listened to an interview and you just said now you like to just tell stories. Um, mm-hmm. What made you choose writing a book as a medium? Like it's such a monumental task for anyone. Uh, like, What made you choose that as opposed to I don't know, stand-up comedy or just trying to do like radio or just why the medium a book. Well as you guys probably guessed, like I really really love being up in front of people. <laughs> <laughs> <have> I <copies>. am yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just curious what made it a book, you know, like I guess I guess it's like, I have a hard time communicating, I think, and I think writing is a way that um, I can really work on what I wanna say over and over and over. I rarely feel like I get it right the first time I say it or anything. Um, and uh, yeah, that's I was always attracted to stories, telling them or, or whatever. And um, I guess I foolishly decided <laughs> to get into writing. <laughs> <laughs> did you, you imagine this as a memoir that you took the journalizing? No, I thought I <laughs> I I when I sold it and whatever, I was like no and then um but it you know but it's true and um so i i, I slowly gave over to that um, slowly as in they're like we'll buy it if it's a memoir and I was like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> sure <laughs> uh yeah did they feel like memoir was like a hotter I, I don't know, I'm not sure, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> probably, <laughs> uh, other questions? Yeah. And I feel personally that I would need to get a to write. Sure. Um, I, I, was, I did get a way to write. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to go to Provincetown, um, which is the very tip of Cape Cod, surrounded on three sides by water. And there's nothing but sand. And we did Coyotes in the winter time. And I guess I I, I went there for about, I was there for about 14 months, uh, over two different periods of time. And that is a good place to write um, and go crazy. um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, I I do like to get away to write. Anyone else? Uh, Okay, well, if there's no other questions, um, thanks, everybody, for coming. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.